I don't trust the guys upstairs until I'm ready. It's on mute. Because you never know, right? They like having fun, too. So uh, I'm still not running up to the platform like Chris. I think those days are gone. Um, but I admire his ability to be able to do that. And uh, just wondering, David, how many um, you had ESL Wednesday evening? How many to have come? How many? 19. And on Monday morning, 47. So figure it out. I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible. And, uh, you know, we praise God for that. There are a few new things happening this morning. Uh, Chris was a nice guy and didn't mention it. It was coffee as soon as I finished, or pretty close to that. So he, because he didn't want you all salivating while I was speaking. And uh, so we're trying a bunch of new things. We want people to be able to greet one another. Uh, in case you haven't noticed, people don't exactly arrive not only on time, uh, they don't even arrive near on time for the most part. So the coffee in the morning is for only a few people, and our, our hope is that we're really going to form a, a family, and you need to get to know new people. So I want to ask you to do something today. At the end of the service, there will be coffee available, and uh, try to say hello to somebody you don't know. Get to know somebody you don't know. It's really not that hard, you know. I'm looking forward to playing golf with Michael over here in a couple of weeks, right, Michael? We're going to finally get that date done, right? So we're going to, because, um, you know, there's just lots of stuff we need to do to build relationships with another. So uh, we want to keep working on that. We've, uh, I got a lot of pressure on me this morning because this is the first Sunday that the high school students have to be in here. And Chris told me, like, if you don't entertain them, Lou, uh, you're done preaching forever uh, at Oak Ridge. So, I mean, we'll see what, uh, you know. So I thought, what should I go into here? You know, so I've been called Columbo on a number of occasions, and I thought, gee, maybe I should do a Columbo thing or something like that, but uh, I'm not going to try to do that this morning. We're in a, uh, a series on the Minor Prophets, and uh, and today we come to the book of Amos. And as we come to this little book of Amos, this Minor Prophet, there are a few things I want to keep in mind. Uh, the Minor Prophets as such don't exist in the Hebrew Bible the way they do in our Bible, okay? In the Hebrew Bible, the minor prophets are called simply by this name, the Twelve. And they fit into another larger category. In the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible, there are former prophets and there are latter prophets, and the Twelve are the last book in the latter prophets. So, so what you see then is that Oh, you might be asking the question, uh, because we have, here's the latter prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the Twelve. What about Daniel? Right? Because we tend to think of Daniel as like big name prophet. He's not a prophet in the Hebrew Old Testament. The Hebrew Old Testament is a, is a lot different than ours, and the books are put in different orders for, for different purposes. So I just want you to understand that. As we come to this book of Amos, there's a few things that I want us to note today. And by the way, the minor prophets may be small in size. They are definitely not small. They are not minor in message. There are some amazingly major messages in the minor prophets, and you're going to find that that's exactly the case when we come to the book of Amos. Amos, by the way, is a very interesting prophet in that he wasn't a professional prophet. If you read chapter 7 and verse 14, he says this, 
I'm not a prophet. My father wasn't a prophet. His credentials for being a prophet, he's only going to be a prophet for a very short time, by the way. His credentials for being a prophet were the call of God on his life. You're going to read over and over in the text of of Amos, Thus saith the Lord. The Lord said this. This is the word of the Lord. That's his background. And if you read the book of Amos, what you're going to find is he really knows the word of God. He was a sheep herder. Okay. He tended fig sycamore trees, but he had no background other than God's call on his life. The second thing we note about him, his name means burden. And whether he was a burden to everybody or whether the message that he carried was a burden is a debatable thing. But here's the thing we want to note about Namus. His message was so penetrating. His message was so heavy that when the Israelites heard it, according to legend, they drove a tent peg through his head and they dragged him out of the country of Israel back across the border and said, get out of here. So his prophetic career wasn't very long. Gives the nine chapters in this book, and he's removed from history. What we need to do today to think about this book of Amos is to do a little bit of Israelite history, and I know history is not a favorite subject with everybody. I happen to like it, and it's important for context. So let's think about Israel as a nation. Israel was a tribal nation. It starts with Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, who has 12 sons, and now we have 12 tribes of Israel. These 12 tribes of Israel, each tribe had a leader, and somehow they managed to orchestrate things together. They were able to keep things going, but they needed more. And so we see them on occasion being led by a prophet like Moses, or maybe later they'll be led by a priest like Eli, or sometimes they're led by judges like uh, uh, Deborah and Barak or Gideon or Samson or somebody like that. And finally they come to the place where they ask for a king and they get a king and Israel becomes a kingdom. It's what they've wanted. They now have some kind of status among the nations of the world. They didn't realize the status that they had had before. Actually, God was Israel's leader. The priest and the prophet and whatever were just the messengers for the real leader. But they wanted a king. They wanted to be like the other nations. So now what happens is they have kings. They have three kings who do reasonably well. Each of them reigns for 40 years. And if you know anything you know about King Saul, you probably know about King David, and you know about King Solomon. But following King Solomon's time, what we have is civil war. And this civil war, now, well, you can see this map, maybe not that great. But anyhow, the civil war divides Israel into two countries. That blue area on the map is known as the Northern Kingdom, and it retains the name Israel. The yellow area on that map is the Southern Kingdom, and it takes the name of Judah for itself. We have now, if you will, a history of separation. And here's the problem. Jerusalem is the center of worship for all Israel. So when this civil war takes place, 
The question now is, what's going to happen to worship? Are the people from the north going to go to the kingdom of the south? Are they going to go to worship there? And the kings of the north are a little bit, what should we say, neurotic with regard to this issue. And they begin thinking, no, no, we can't, we can't take that risk. And so what they do is they create new places of worship. They create new gods. They create new religious holidays. They create a new priesthood. They create, if you will, a whole new religious system. See what's taking place? And these new gods are golden calves, and on and on the story goes about what happens. Now, here's what you need to understand. What does happen at that time is God sends a prophet, okay? He sends a prophet to Israel, and this prophet is going to curse the priest, He's going to curse the altar, and ultimately he's going to die because of uh, of this whole thing. So now what I want you to begin thinking about is we have a prophet at the very beginning of Israel who speaks against this idolatry, and now 200 years later, roughly, we come to Amos. Amos is going to have exactly the same job as that prophet 200 years before. He's going to leave Judah. He's going to cross into Israel. He's going to curse the altar. He's going to curse the priest. He's actually going to have the same fate. He's going to die. They don't want to hear his message. Well, As you think about this history and you think about this book, I want us to take a little book, a little look at the book of Amos this morning. It breaks down into three parts, and we can't deal with the whole of the book. But here you go. Part one, first two chapters, contains eight judgments. Okay. Part two, chapters three through six, contains three messages, each of which begins with the word here, and then it has Two woes, each of which, of course, begins with the word woe. The third part of the book has five visions, chapters 7 through 9. We're not going to talk about the five visions today, and we're not going to do that because the five visions actually parallel the three messages and the two woes in the second part of, of the book. Let's take a look at part one just for a moment. I don't know how many of you have recently read Amos, but but here's a trick for you. If you ever hear the words, for three transgressions, even for four, you know you're in the book of Amos. He's the only guy who ever says this, okay? He's going to say it eight times. You read the first two chapters and you say, this is repetitive. He keeps saying the same thing over and over and over. For three transgressions, even for four, it's kind of like a parent saying to their child, listen, if you do that one more time, Right? Anybody ever say that? I hope you followed through. Otherwise, you're just teaching your kid to do it one more time. Okay? Comes to a point where God says, enough is enough. For three transgressions, even for four. The second statement is pretty simple. I will send fire. Seven times I will send fire. Fire, meaning judgment is coming. The third statement, eight times, 
okay, is a statement that says simply this. Thus says the Lord, right? This is what the Lord has said. This is what the Lord said. Eight times. It is not Amos's idea. Isn't Amos saying, hey, you know what? I've been looking at what you're doing, and I think you're not working it out too right. Maybe you want to think about that. i got a good idea for you. It's not that at all. This is what the Lord says. Now, as much as you read chapters 1 and 2, you might miss one of the important points in the chapter because Amos is really tricky. These Old Testament writers are incredible. They really are. And we don't spend enough time in the Word of God to really see the kind of mechanisms they use to to point out pictures they want to do. So we're going to put up a map now. Israel's thinking, yeah, 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 maybe that'll happen somewhere. But us, maybe not. So God says, I'm going to judge Damascus. I'm going to judge Syria. Boom, okay. I'm going to judge Philistia. I'm going to judge Gaza, right? I'm going to judge, let's see, where is he going to go next? He's going to go to Tyre next, I think, right? And then, where is he going to go? Oh, he's going to go to uh, the kingdom of Edom next. Okay, and then he's going to go to the king of Ammon. And then he's going to go to the king of Moab. And then he's going to go to the kingdom of Judah. Are you seeing what's happening? They are surrounded, folks. Israel is in the crosshairs. Israel is the bullseye, okay? It's just a little picture. Like, you think you're going to escape, you're not going to get away. I got everybody around you, and I'm going to get you as well. Well, that's the first part of the book, and it has a lesson for you, and it has a lesson for me. And the first lesson I want, want us to understand is this. You cannot escape God's judgment. You just can't escape God's judgment. So we'll slip to ahead two slides. Here we go. Most people don't like that, right? A lot of people say, whoa, I don't like God's judgment. I mean, look, I've been going to church all my life, been in Sunday school all my life, learned a lot. He's loving. He's kind. He's long-suffering. He's gentle. He's meek, he's understanding, on and on and on it goes. And I don't like that idea of judgment. God, God wouldn't do something like that. Sometimes we hear somebody say something like, you know what, that's, that's barbaric. God must be just fooling around, right? He's just, he's just kidding us. After all, we're prosperous. We have everything, all right? And that's a sure sign of God's blessing, isn't it? You can go home, turn on the TV shortly. In fact, you can go on Sirius and listen to it 24-7 if you want. God wants you rich. God wants you beautiful. God wants you powerful. God wants you famous. God wants you happy in everything you do. Somehow that kind of misses the teaching of Jesus, which says, take up your cross, deny yourself. Follow me. There's just some kind of a disconnect there, wouldn't you think? 
But the Israelites are saying, you know what? We're reading Deuteronomy. It says when God loves you, he just gives you everything, everything you could ever imagine. And they are wealthy, wealthy, wealthy. They are prosperous. They are the largest they've ever been size-wise in the history of Israel. It just looks like God's blessing is everywhere. And they're saying, can't be true. It just can't be true. Amos says, unfortunately for you, it is true. Okay? If you take your Bible and you turn over to chapter 3, you're going to see metaphor after metaphor after metaphor. He's an incredible writer, too. He says this, starting at chapter 3, verse 3. Therefore, okay, do two walk together unless they've agreed to do so? Does a lion roar in the thicket when he has no prey? Does he growl in his den when he's caught nothing? Does a bird fall into a trap on the ground when there's no snare has been set? Does a trap spring up from the earth when there's nothing to catch? When a trumpet sounds in the city, don't the people tremble? When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? And then he says like this in verse 8, The lion has roared. Who? will not fear. And what he's saying is this. When God says judgment's coming, God isn't bluffing. God isn't kidding. God isn't fooling around. That's a pretty straightforward message, and you know exactly how much those people appreciated it. But those people are somewhat like us. Well... You know, God, if you're going to do that, you should have told us. Right? You should have told us you were going to do that. Like, I mean, you're going to judge us? We, we didn't, we didn't know that. You should have given us some kind of warning. Well, God did give them warning. God had sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet. Some really biggies, too. Okay, Remember, they had that very first prophet. They no sooner started their idolatry than God sent a prophet who cursed their altar, destroyed it, cursed their priest. It was an incredible time. And then God sent Elijah. And then Elisha. Huge in the book of First and Second Kings. And then God sent all sorts of other prophets named and unnamed. They had prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet. And God finally sends Amos. And do they, do they want a warning? They don't want a warning. What do they do with Amos? The tent peg through the head. Drag him back across the border. Get out of here. Stay out of here. We don't want what you said. Not at all. God, you should have given us warning. You should have given us something. The second thing that happens, as you begin reading in chapter 4, you hear time and time again. You notice how many times Amos uses the same words to communicate a message, right? Eight times what? Thus says the Lord, seven times I will give fire, eight times for 
three sins, even for four, or for three transgressions, even for four. Then he uses metaphor, 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 metaphor. Now he's going to use another verbal repetition. If you read this chapter, what you will see is five times he's going to say, yet you have not returned. Why would he say that? And he would say it because of this. The Israelites had the Bible, such as it was at that time. They have Deuteronomy. They have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. They have Deuteronomy. They have the Bible. They have everything they need. The book of Deuteronomy is especially what they need. And in chapter 26, in verse 15 of Deuteronomy, God says to Israel, listen. If you will follow me, if you will keep all of my commandments, my laws, my statutes, my decrees, then I will be your God, and you will be my people. And I will bless you. I will place you above every other nation. You will be the top and not the bottom. You will, you will have incredible blessing. All of this. And Israel said, We will be your people, and you will be our God. They made a covenant with God. And God said, no, if you keep that covenant, incredible things are going to happen to you. You're going to live under blessing. But if you don't keep that covenant, bad things are going to happen to you. You can read about this in Deuteronomy 27, 28, and 29. It's just as clear. It's spelled out so clearly you can't even imagine. And now, what Amos is doing is reminding them of Deuteronomy, what God told them, what God said to them in the Bible. What did he say? Well, he's given warning after warning. He said, I told you if you didn't obey, you would suffer famine. I gave you famine. Guess what? You did not return. I told you that if you didn't keep covenant, I would take away water. I took away your water. You did not return. I told you that if you didn't follow, if you didn't keep your promise, that I would send blight, I would send mildew, I would send bugs, you didn't return. I told you, okay, I told you that if indeed, okay, that if indeed you didn't do the things that I said, that is, if you didn't keep up with the whole idea of following God, you would suffer. I would send you plagues like from Egypt. I would send you defeat, yet you did not return. Five times. I told you, yet you did not. 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 One more time. I told you, yet you did not. Wow. They have the prophets. They have the Bible. So there's a third lesson. First lesson is what? God is a God who judges. Second lesson is, God isn't a God who's fooling around. And the third lesson is, God has given his warning. It's the Bible. 
It's a pretty good idea, by the way, for getting involved in a community group, wouldn't you think? Some, some, some motivation for getting in a Bible study, because the more you know, the better you can be. Got to be careful about living in ignorance. You might be saying today, Lou, what is it that's making God so angry? Why is God so upset? So upset that... Well, Amos wants you to clearly understand. One writer says that Amos, the book of Amos, is a 20-minute harangue. Okay. About... God's judgment. I, I don't know if I particularly like it that way, but I'll tell you what. I don't really have the courage to do what Amos did. Can you imagine on a Sunday morning, I'm sitting back there on my seat by Marguerite. I make my way up to the front as I usually do when I'm speaking. And the first thing I say is, speaking to the ladies in Oak Ridge, you cows of Oak Ridge. He did that. I know better than that. That's why I'm still alive. That's why I don't have a tent peg through my head, right? Listen to what he says. about. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria. You women who oppress the poor, crush the needy, and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. You see what's happening? These women are crushing the poor. They are crushing the needy. They're oppressing the poor. And then they're sitting down having a cocktail party and saying to their husbands, hey, bring us some drinks. Life's good. And the men aren't any better. For when you turn over to chapter 5 and verses 10 and 11, you hear something like this. You trample on the poor. You force him to give you grain. You hate the one who reproves in court and despise him who tells the truth. On and on it goes down through the text. They do exactly the same things the women do. Right, here's what I want to tell you. What God hates is injustice. That's what he hates. That's the sin that Amos is speaking about here. And you and I need to understand today that you can do injustice in a couple of ways. Most of us say, well, I'm not unjust, you know. I'm not really unjust. No, no. Doing something is one thing. Not doing something is another. Most of us aren't running around oppressing our neighbors and extracting everything we can from them, like some of the people that Amos was speaking about. But how many of us have neighbors who are sinking and are in need of help and we're doing nothing? Pure religion and undefiled, says James, is to feed the fatherless and the widows and visit the sick in their affliction. And Jesus says what? Inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of one of these, you've done it unto me. I don't need to get down that street too often, do I? God hates injustice. Whether it's in church or it's in a country or wherever, he hates injustice. The second thing he hates is idolatry. And they're good at idolatry. They're they're worshiping the golden calves. Can you imagine? They're worshiping the golden calves. They go up and pet them and say, nice Jehovah. They call the golden calves Jehovah. 
They're lucky they weren't dead on the spot. They're not just... They worship Baal and his female consort, Asherah. And they play around. They're fasting and they're praying and they're giving alms. And they're singing and dancing. They're looking good, but it means absolutely nothing. You know what? It's a whole lot easier to look spiritual than it is to be spiritual. You ever notice that? Most of us can fake it quite well. Especially those like me. I mean, remember, I went to church in vitro. I never missed a service from the day I was conceived, I don't think. Get the point? I know how to play church. So do you. And that's something we have to fight against all of our lives. It's not about playing church. You say, well, I'm not worshiping idols. Let me tell you something today. Here's why idolatry keeps in the church. Anytime you think your idea is better than God's, you're an idolater. Anytime. And Canada is committing this sin over and over every day as you and I live. We are surrounded by this kind of idolatry. What's God know about Christmas? Right? What's God know about sexuality? What's God know about anything anymore? What's God know about government? What's God know about truth? I mean, after all, we're postmodern. Who knows truth anyhow? God was probably postmodern too. I mean, like, you understand what I'm saying? It's easy to slip in idolatry when you start saying, well, you know, I know what it says in the Bible, but, you know, that was a long time ago. That's idolatry. God hates injustice, and he hates idolatry. The sins that cause him to bring about judgment. We need to think about that. And here's what Jesus says so that we don't cross over. Seek ye first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. We'll talk more about that later. But Jesus says this, what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And the second commandment is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And here's the deal. If you don't love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, if you don't do that, you're in danger of idolatry every day of the week. You have to work at keeping God first. It doesn't come naturally. Flesh wars against spirit. Spirit wars against flesh. These two things are contrary one to the other. And pretty soon Chris is going to get the tent peg because I'm close to overtime. And, and I want to finish this. The second thing you have to be careful of is this. When you don't follow that second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, you are in danger of injustice because you just don't care about other people as much as you care about you. These sins are our sins. They're not just sins in the time of Amos. These are Canadian sins. So the fourth lesson is idolatry and injustice are sins that lead to God's judgment. Say, well, thanks for the depressing message, Lou. Fortunately, Amos isn't done yet. 
And there's another word repetition that comes up in chapter 5, and it comes up three times. Seek God and live. Seek God and live. Judgment isn't the end of the story. Seek God and live. 5-4, seek God and live. 5-6, seek God and live. 5-14, seek good and live. Sounds kind of like Matthew 6, doesn't it? Seek ye first the kingdom of his God, the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added unto you. That's the whole point of Amos' message. You're in danger. You are in great danger. We're in great danger when we play around at Christianity. We're in great danger. We don't think we are, and we're just like, well, you know, God's good. He's kind. He's long-suffering and all of these things. You need to understand, God does not put up with stuff forever. Sometimes he's going to say, for three sins, even for four. Time's up. And the message to us today to avoid that is seek God every day of your life. Seek God every day. Surround yourself with people who seek God. Get into a Bible study where people seek God. Get into a group of people who encourage you to seek God. Seek God. Hear his voice. Follow his instruction and then experience his blessing and guess what you make a huge impact in the world in which you live may God give us grace to do these things